things seem just out of your reach. Faces and places seem strange and they unsteady your feet. This is Richard Sachs. This is Lost Arts Radio, and it's nice to see you back again. Thank you for joining us. We have an exciting guest that I've been hoping that we could get on for a while, Dr. Thomas Cowan. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things about him. His bio would be enough to talk about for the whole hour, I think, in detail. But instead of trying to to do that, I'll say a few things, and we'll kind of incorporate it in the discussion because I think this is going to go by really quickly in the short time that we've got. I will say that... He's re- my understanding is, and I can be corrected by him as soon as we start talking, but retired from general medical practice in San Francisco, was vice president of the Physicians Association for Anthroposophical Medicine, and that, that's a whole interesting subject to talk about, I suspect, related to Steiner and things like that. Uh, was founding board member of Weston A. Price Foundation that we've talked a lot about, current vice president of that, uh, author of five books, including... Some that I want to try to get into if we have time, human heart, cosmic heart, some very interesting uh, insights about the heart that are way beyond what people are thinking about in conventional medicine. Also, uh, vaccines, autoimmunity, and changing nature of childhood illness. I'm just looking down because I don't want to get the titles wrong. Cancer and the new biology of water, fourfold path of heal- to healing, and nourishing traditions book of baby and child care and those last two were with Sally Fallon Morrell who's a great lady that I have also met and uh, actually six books not five because the one I'm reading that made me want to do this right now is the contagion myth and it, there's a lot of stuff in there that's relevant to what we're experiencing in the, in the world right now particularly in relation to the issue of real versus fake science and real science it seems to me questions everything and that's been largely forgotten, and now it's being replaced by memorization of acceptable material, and it's really a different approach to trying to understand reality. So doctors that really have the consciousness to go beyond the current paradigm are, are rare, and I really like it when we can find some, and people in general that can question everything are getting extremely rare. We need to bring that back, it seems to me. So we have a lot to talk about, and Welcome, Dr. Cowan, and I hope I got some of that correct that I just finished going through. Pretty good, and you can call me Tom. It's fine. Tom, sorry about that. Most That's another example of uh, unusual outlook on life, not a coincidence, because most doctors, it's really important to them that I always remember their first name is Doctor. Uh, and if we don't have to do that, it's great. I, I feel the same way about it. So good. anyway... Um, what I'd like to do with the, again, the little bit of time that we've got is bring people in who have no idea what we're talking about. So before you got interested in all this stuff, um, 
what got you into the focus of your the work that you retired from and what your focus is now. And then we'll go from there. And I've got specific areas that I hope we'll have time to look at. I mean, you know, all I can really say is I grew up with somehow the expectation that I, sh- I was going to be or at least should be a doctor. A lot of my, my father and grandfather were dentists, and a lot of their friends were Actually, very rep, you know, well-known doctors. One guy invented the laser for use in gynecology. And all I can say is, for whatever reason, I I didn't like them, and I didn't like the way they thought. And I, I of course, had no idea why. Uh, I also knew that I was a better golfer than they all were, and they cared more about golf than they did about medicine. And that, so did they not appreciate your golf abilities very much then? Uh, yeah, you know, but I think what happened was it made me realize that I that just because there's authorities, it doesn't. I don't have to be intimidated by them because the thing they cared about the most, I was actually better at them, even at age fifteen. So, uh, so golf was the inspiration to realize the outlook yeah. on the world in a way. So then I, I tried to do anything to not be a doctor and join the Peace Corps. And uh, somehow there I was given the books uh, by Weston Price and Steiner. Mm. And it was sort of like a light went off when I realized this is now age 20, you know, so I didn't know anything really. Uh, but I, what I realized was the kind of doctor I didn't want to be was not the only kind of doctor there was. Oh, okay. And I didn't know that, of course. You know, you think that's how you'd be a doctor. I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. But I realized there was a whole other way of looking at the world. And it was sort of like it was opened up a floodgate for me because it turns out I was interested in the subject, you know, just not that subject. (laughs) Right, right, right. So uh, then I've spent, you know, 45 years pretty much every day trying to figure out uh, what what's going on. And all I can tell you, you know, I've made a lot of errors and mistakes and a lot of them that are in the books. And even there's some in the contagion myth that now uh, nine months later, you know, I wish I had a do over, uh-huh, uh, right. but every single mistake literally was because I believed the dominant narrative too much. You know, you think, oh, well, this must be true. Everybody believes it's our foundation. You know, like, you know, ATP is, is, is the energy molecule in mammalian systems. Every normal doctor, every scientist, every holistic alternative practitioner believes it. Some have written books about it. And it's absolutely provably not true. Just flat out baloney. With that kind of attitude, how did you survive medical school? Uh, You know, I decided uh, early on, uh, because by the time I went to medical school, I already knew that I didn't didn't believe most of it. Right. And so I decided very consciously, because I was also good at doing, you know, tests and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I decided that I would just... do what they asked, I would answer their questions and not say anything else. 
That so, takes a lot of discipline, you know, to keep your mouth closed when things like that come yeah. up. Yeah, but, you know, so they would, you know, they would ask me, you know, what's the treatment for strep throat? And, you know, my peers, my fellow students would go on about, you know, this, and I would say penicillin. Exactly. And then they'd say, what's the dose? And I'd say 250 QID for 10 days. Okay. And, and okay. they, they re- often would remark that, I was the least fun person to teach they ever met. Right. Do you remember in in Charlie Brown, in what did they call that, Peanuts, the old cartoon strip, when uh, I think it was Charlie Brown used to come up, and it wasn't Linus, he was too smart. Lucy used to hold the football and say, this time I'm not going to pull it away. Yeah, right. And he would fall for it every time. And those questions trying to get you to get into an argument are kind of like that, aren't they? A little bit, but, you know, I just made it my responsibility that I knew enough of the correct answers that, you know, they couldn't criticize me because I didn't know what the treatment was, right? Mm -hmm. I knew that's not that hard, really. So I, you know, and so what could they say? And I I just did the minimum and, you know, I actually uh, left my residency after a year because... Basically, we it, we had a clinic in my first year, and we gave this you know two month old baby this vaccine. Baby died about three four days later, wow. and basically they lied about it. You know, they said it had nothing to do with it. The other thing that happened, which I didn't know about this, you know, I didn't know this part, but th- we we didn't report it to fairs, which is illegal. You know, you have yeah, to report it, an adverse event. But it's very common not to report it. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, and they they almost never do. In fact, most doctors, if you who give vaccines, if you ask them how do you report a, a, a an adverse event, they actually wouldn't know. They don't yeah. even know there's a way to report it. But but I but for me, it was a firsthand experience of a lying to the patients and b illegally not reporting an event that clearly was related. Right. And, and that made me realize, I mean, I already knew that I didn't, you know, I, I, ne- I it's like I said, I gave <laughs> probably five tetanus shots in 40 years of practice. Yeah. And by the way, I regret every one of those. Yeah, I can imagine. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, every one of these subjects is enough for a whole show, right? Yeah. I mean, because everybody believes, almost everybody, that if you don't get a tetanus shot when you step on anything sharp, you're insane. Yeah, boy, if you ever go in, I mean, you're right. It's an interesting subject because now I've actually, I, I've looked into tetanus and it's fascinating. And I mean, we could get into it if you want, but it's a little bit of a sidelight. Well, I mean, I would be happy to get into every one of these things. And maybe if if you're not averse to it, we could do more than one of these episodes. Let me just tell you, now that we got into it, you know, the the whole thing with tetanus is, so there's this toxin made by this bacteria that gives you lockjaw and kills you. That's the theory. So the toxin goes into your nervous system, essentially paralyzes the nerves. Right. Now, the, re- the way you get immune to it, we're told, is you make antibodies against the toxin. So the reason you give somebody a tetanus shot is so they make antibodies. Yeah. So that's the, like I said, there's always a standard theory. So that's the standard theory. But then you can, and anybody can check me, and I, I, I always say, 
I, I not only hope, but I expect that people won't believe a word I say. Right. Uh, so, but if you go to the CDC website, it says uh, tetanus is a clinical diagnosis of which the finding of the tetanus toxin or the presence of antibodies has no relevance for whether you should diagnose somebody with tetanus. If, if In other people words, still read at all, they would all faint when they saw that. Right. And, but here's what they're saying that in people who have tetanus, A, you can't find the toxin. Now, that could be because it's metabolized quickly and you just can't find it. But the other thing they're saying is you cannot say that just because somebody has antibodies, they're immune, which is obviously the whole point of the vaccine. And then I I looked into where did they get that from, and they got it actually from a case, I think it was in the 50s, where – they used to hyper-immunize people. In other words, they'd give them like 50 tetanus shots, and then they would make lots of antibodies. And then they would harvest the antibodies so that if somebody actually had tetanus and you don't have time to give them a a shot, Uh you could give them antibodies and hopefully they wouldn't die. So this guy had 10,000 or more level of antibodies in his blood because they gave him so many, you know, injections. Yeah. And you know what happened to him? I, no, I can't imagine what. He got tetanus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's, like getting flu, that. that's like getting the flu as soon as you get a flu shot, right? It's worse. He actually had 10,000 or so times the normal level of tetanus antibodies because that was the whole point. So he was too immune, right? I mean, mm. the fact of the matter is, it's just nonsense. Antibodies have nothing to do with immunity. I mean, that's the take. That's what I ended up discovering is that you know how terrible that would be for business if that got out. But it, but even but my point here is, even the CDC, if you actually look at what they say. And they actually referenced that case, that's how I found it, which literally demonstrates that the presence of antibody has no impact on whether somebody's immune. Now, if you think about that, that's the whole point of a vaccine is to make you make antibodies. And well, yet, that's also the justification for putting the worst poisons they can in the vaccine. Yes. Because the body has the most antibody. antibody response, right? Right. And yet the... The actual science, such as it is, uh, says that that there is no relationship. In fact, even it gets into question whether antibodies are specific to anything, because my guess is they're actually not, and I have a whole theory as to what they're doing there. But I, I could be wrong about that. But I can tell you that the idea that they're specific to anything and part of a so-called immune system is simply provably wrong. Well, the other thing is it's so convenient you can make antibodies with in a response to a metal or anything yeah. like that. You don't need a, a organism. Right. So how could an antibody to aluminum make you healthy? I mean, it's yeah. really a question. Yeah. And in fact, if you ask the question, what is an antibody? 
you know, most most people don't come up with very good answers. Yeah, or even what is an immune system? They have no idea. Because yeah. turns out, truth be told, we actually don't have an immune system. We have detoxification mechanisms that clear out different poisons. But if you try to define what an immune system is and how it works, there, there, you you get lost in the in the bushes in no time, and and you you don't know what you're talking about. Not what you. What about but. the pictures of the macrophages eating the bad bacteria? Well, there are white blood cells, and they do you know they do have a sort of garbage collection function. But the way that I conceive of that is that if you don't, you know, the, I actually have a whole five-step how you get sick. The first thing is you get poisoned and you poop it out and then you're fine. And then if you can't poop it out, then you pee it out and then you're fine. And if you can't poop it out and you can't pee it out, then you sweat it out and then you're fine. And if you can't poop it out or pee it out or sweat it out, then you call on the garbage men called the macrophages or white blood cells, and they eat it. And if you can't poop it out, pee it out, sweat it out, or eat it with your garbage men, then you make antibodies to neutralize it, and then you're chronically sick. Wow, that's interesting. So that's you can see those stages in people, and they have nothing to do with, quote, infections, or they're just, you know, progressive you know, poisoning for a whole lot of things, non-specific things. Okay, so one of the first questions that comes up with that is, you know, I'm one of the old people that was a kid in the early 50s, and I went to measles parties, and they appeared to work great. So what happened? What? How come that works? So... The only real way to answer that is to get into the history of this whole thing. Because if I answer that out of context, I, uh-huh. I, it won't make sense. So okay, if you want me to get into the context of that, I can. That's one of about three first things that I wanted you to really talk about. So let's try. So... You know, it, it really, and if there was anything that your listeners should know from me, I, I think it's it's a very simple question. And it's a question, you know, I've talked to, I don't know, hundreds of people or who everywhere from ask me to angrily confront me. Yeah. You know, and they say, and, and the question is, you know, how do you know a virus causes a disease? Right. 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 Uh, the interesting thing about that is, is people will say, I am sure that this coronavirus causes COVID. Yeah. And I'll say to them, uh, well, how do you know if a virus causes disease? And they say, well, because a lot of people got sick in China and then it spread to France or Italy and then it went to Russia and the United States. And my Aunt Bessie went to a party and she got sick. Now, the, the fact of the matter is there's no scientist, there's no virologist, there's no actual intelligent medical doctor who thinks you prove viral causation with epidemiological observations, right? Yeah. Those, that's not how we prove a virus exists or causes disease, you got to get into Koch's postulates, right? Well, you, but those are what are called epidemiological observations. Yeah. yeah. And the problem is the, the, 
the function of those observations is to generate hypotheses, which then you can test. Yes. Because they've been wrong a lot. Like we used to think scurvy was infectious because a lot of people got sick on a boat and then the next boat got sick and then somebody ate a lemon and the whole thing went away. Right. And if people say to me, well, a lot of people got sick in the same place, therefore it must be a virus. I just say, so you mean Hiroshima was a virus? Yeah, yeah. And Well, it spread. So you mean Chernobyl because the radiation spread. So mm-hmm. the bottom line is no, that's not how you prove it. Uh, and then 99% of the people have no idea how you would prove it. Mm-hmm. I think it's curious that they believe 100% that they know. But if you ask them, how would you do it? Not even whether if it's been done, they, they have no idea. So here's the way to do it. So everybody knows. And, uh, you know, the first thing you have to do is isolate the virus. And here, if, if you would permit me, I can give you an example of what I mean by this. Sure, it'd be great. Yeah? Yeah. So let's use a simpler example, and maybe I can even use you as a foil in this. Sure, sure. So, and, and if you could just pay attention to the words I use, okay? Okay, yeah. So we want to know whether the caffeine found in coffee beans causes high blood pressure. Okay. Right? Yes. So we, do, we need to do an experiment. So we take coffee beans and we grind them up, and we put them in a capsule, and we give them to 10 people, and we do appropriate controls and, you know, double blind and the whole thing. And all 10 of those people who take the uh, coffee beans ground into a capsule have high blood pressure, and none of the people who took the placebo have we now proven that the caffeine in the coffee bean causes high blood pressure. No, it's anecdotal so far. And you also didn't mention making sure that they did not have it before they took the coffee, too. See, so I would say you're actually, you're, you got the right answer, but the wrong reason. Okay. The, the reason you haven't proven it is, you, I'm sure you don't think that the only thing in a ground-up coffee bean is caffeine. No, I would have also elaborated that you have unknown number of variables, most of which you don't even know they exist. Right. You have fiber and caffeic acid and oils and all the rest. And that's only the physical level. You've got the yes. thought and emotional standards right. and all that. But let's forget about those things because that okay. just complicates it. Yeah. So, okay, so we want to purify it more. So we take the ground coffee, we put it through a filter paper, we get rid of the grounds, and now we have liquid coffee, right? Okay. And we give that to 10 people. They all get high blood pressure. 10 of the other ones, we give them a water, and none of them do. Have we now proven that the caffeine causes high blood pressure? No, you're giving them all the unknown variables at the same time. Right. Okay, so then we do, next step, we take that coffee and we centrifuge it, and it spins out a band that's pure caffeine. And then we prove it, that it's only caffeine. We send it to another lab. They do the same steps. They say, yep, all you got is caffeine. You give that to 10 people. You give them a placebo. They all get high blood pressure. Do we now know that the caffeine in coffee beans causes high blood pressure? No. I would say yes. 
You know, the reason I'd say no is because what you actually know is that if people isolate caffeine from coffee and just take it straight, that that may lead to high blood pressure. But yeah. what it does in combination with the whole coffee, you don't know. Right. That That's a good point. But for my purposes, it's good enough. Okay. Okay. Now, here's my point. Uh, there actually is the exact same thing in virology. You take somebody's snot who's got a sickness that you don't know what it is, right? Could be okay. measles, could be chicken pox, et cetera. Okay. Then you grind it up. Now, if you give that to somebody or an animal, you don't know what, what all is in there, right? Right, right. So you filter it, and then you get the supernatant, which is the liquid part. Right. And you give that to a bunch of animals, and none of them get sick, or some of them get sick. But you still don't know because that's not a pure virus. Right. So then you do the next step, which is you do the centrifuging and it spins out in a band. You take the band out. You, you take a picture of it to say this is only viruses. Okay. Now, there are still problems with this, but that's sort of good enough. Okay. Then you give that to animals or people. They all get the same sickness. As far as I'm concerned, You've now isolated the virus, and you've proven that it causes the disease. Here's okay. the thing. That has never been done with uh, coronavirus and COVID. And in fact, I would defy anybody to show me a study that ever in the history of the last 150 years, when people have been trying to prove this, that they have ever isolated a virus from a sick person and made any animal or human sick? I, I would say maybe beyond that, not just with viruses, but I don't think they've done it with any microorganism that I'm not aware of. Not with bacteria, not with viruses. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I mean, but that is how a virologist proves, first of all, that the thing exists. Now, I can tell you, that this called isolation. In other words, a virus is a thing. Just like I can, these are things, a pen and a pencil. I can separate a pen from a pencil because they're different things. Mm -hmm. And I can then see, does the pen write on the blackboard? Yes. And if I have both of them, I can't tell whether which one is writing. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's the common definition that's what people think when they say isolation. But that's not what a virologist means by isolation. What they do is they take snot from somebody, they filter it, so they have a mixture of all kinds of stuff. They inoculate that onto a tissue culture, which is, you know, kidney tissue. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens. So then they starve and poison the kidney tissue, and it breaks down into a million genetic pieces. And then they say that proves the virus caused disease. And that proves that they isolated the virus. Now, as strange as that sounds, all 100, I'm sorry, all, I've seen 31 papers in Nature, Scientific American, New England Journal, etc., that claim they isolated the virus. All of them did it exactly like I just said. It's like taking coffee and putting it into a vat with tea and chocolate and yerba mate and saying you somehow know 
which with the caffeine that could have come from any of this stuff that somehow you know it came from the from the coffee but it, it's the it's the institutionalized acceptable non-logic that everybody's been trained is okay i guess is what you're saying right you, you know, in, in, so in 1951, 52, a guy got the Nobel Prize because they, at that point, proved. So to answer your question about measles, yeah. uh, it, that's, you know, how we started this. So they proved that these thing, these particles, A, didn't cause disease, B, were actually breakdown products of the tissues, not exogenous infecting agents from the outside and then this one guy said oh i have a different way to prove it we can inoculate it on tissue except then it wouldn't didn't break down the tissue so he said then we can starve and poison the tissue and then it will break down and then we we're, we're back you know like we're back in business we can prove viruses cause disease is it does this get acceptance because it's so ridiculous that nobody dares question it because it would just undermine the whole system or something? Correct. Now, <laughs> interestingly, you, the, the other part of your answer to your measles question is there was actually a Supreme Court case in Germany. And, and this uh, guy who's a friend of mine, Stefan Lanka, uh, who's a virologist and by training anyways, and he offered 100,000 euros to anybody who could prove in the German court system that the measles virus exists. Not that it causes disease, just that it is an independent thing which you can photograph and, and document. And he won. And the German Supreme Court said there is no evidence for the existence of this virus. So you, and he made, they made the claimant guy pay the court fees. Well, so, you, you said they don't even have to show that it causes the disease, but if you don't show that a supposed measles virus causes measles, you can't claim that it's a measles virus. So don't you have to do both anyway? You do, but the first step is show that it exists. If it doesn't exist, <laughs> then there's nothing to, to test whether it causes anything. Okay, And that's where we are with the coronavirus. And in fact, I, I can read you some interesting things. You know, the, the guy, Christian Drosten, who, who, who came up with the PCR test that is used all over the world, in his original paper, he's, here's, here's a quote from it. We aim to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratory settings without having virus material available. In other words, they, didn't, they never had a virus. The CDC in July 2020 says no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 ENCODE virus are available. We don't have a virus. And this was all the guy that you mentioned was building on the work of Kerry Mullis, right? But Kerry Mullis said you can't ever use this procedure for a, a diagnostic test. So Christian Drosen was making, was designing the PCR test to find the virus. Okay. But okay. The, the, the important point is he admits in public and in the paper 
that he never actually had a virus. Now, you could say, so what did he, what did he make these segments against? You know, what, what was he? Uh, and, and the answer is the standard of something to be looking for. Right? Yes. It's like if I asked you to, to, uh, to, it's like me asking you this piece of a hoof. It, it, I think it came from a unicorn. Yeah. Now you might ask me, can I see a unicorn so I could, you know, test it, right? Yeah, see if it looks. How do you know it's not a cow or a pig or whatever? Right, right. And so when when they were asked, what did you use to test it against? He said, an in silico virus. Now, do you know what that is? It sounds really impressive, but I have no idea what it means. Right, I didn't either, but it means in silico means theoretical. How do you spell that? I-N-S-I-L-I-C-O. Sounds like in sand or something. Yeah, it's, it means right. in silica, which means in a computer. In other okay. words, yeah, yeah. What, what they did was they, they had a, a segment that was based on the, essentially the SARS-CoV-1 virus, which was also a theoretical virus. And so they said, this must be a piece of it. And so then they constructed the genome on the computer that essentially made up the genome of this new virus. So it's it's like an imaginary organism. Yes, it's an imaginary organism. And again, this isn't Tom saying this. Uh, When we asked, part of my group, you know, we had the three leading papers that isolated and characterized the the SARS virus, and we and that's the title of their paper was the isolation. We asked them, "Did you isolate it?" And they said, "We show an image of sedimented virus not purified. We could not estimate the purification. They didn't even try. All they do is take pieces of genetic material that they have no idea where they're from. They use a computer program to construct an in silico or theoretical, otherwise known as imaginary, yeah, otherwise known silico as really make-believe much, virus. In silico sounds a lot more impressive. Though. Yes. So they make a make-believe virus. They show you pictures of it. People routinely send me pictures or show me pictures of a computer uh, virus. And they say, this proves it's real. And then I carry around in my back pocket a picture of a unicorn from a computer. And I say, that proves this is real. Yeah. What do they say about that? They, you know, who knows? Conspiracy theorist, racist, you know, you're not, you're you're anti-science. Yeah, right. Okay. So what is actually happening, or do you think there's a hypothesis of what really happens when kids go together with one kid who has measles and they all get measles quite quickly? Because I saw that happen. Yeah. So... Here, here's the here's the way to answer that. First of all, I want to just be clear that we know it's not a virus, right? Because we, we've experimentally shown that. So we got that one off the table. Well, let me just ask you about that. I think what we proved is that we don't have any proof that it's a virus, but we don't know it's not. We just don't know. Well, we've done for now 150 years, and we cannot demonstrate anything 
illness coming from these particles. It's not proven to be a virus, that's for sure. That it's not, when you don't know what it is, you, I mean, this may be a minor point, but, but you can't say it's not a virus. It's very hard to prove a negative. Yeah. But you right. can say that we have no idea. Right. Nobody knows so it is. You, you could, you know, I, I could say it's fair enough to say we don't really know. But, but let me just suggest a few other things. For one thing, the, these illnesses which seem to, you know, be, quote, contagious, uh, we, we have an erroneous view of what an illness is in the first place. An illness is a detoxification mechanism meant to further the maturation process. And, and in other words, this is a good thing that your body does it's a kind of adaptation to the world around you. I, yeah, I, 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 I've seen that for decades. And I, my question about it to clarify would be, that's all the so-called acute illnesses. You can see the body's trying to clean itself out right. and rebuild. But what about when it transitions into a de- degenerative condition and they call that an illness as well? Right. So here's how that happens. But, but let me just finish this. So okay. you have a situation where if the children get measles, they're better off for life. In other words, they, it's like you get a splinter in your finger and then you get pus. The pus is the therapy for the splinter. And if you don't let the child have or the person have pus, they're worse off for the rest of their life. And all the studies show that children who get measles, chicken pox, et cetera, are healthier for life. Absolutely right. So that's clear. So the next thing is there is a phenomenon called resonance. And I would just point out that anybody who thinks that the only thing that can spread between people are physical stuff. Uh But I would love to hear an explanation of why if you put 20 women in a cabin, they all start menstruating at the same time. And as far as I know, that's not a virus. I would agree with you. So here's what's happening. There is a sort of universal phenomena in, in, in the age that you're living in. And it could be materialistic thinking. It could be glyphosate. It could be bad food, etc. The children are looking for a way to essentially counteract that by having an acute disease, which we call measles, which is basically harmless. Mm-hmm. So one child takes the lead and says, I can do this. He sends out some kind of signal to the other children, probably mm-hmm. some resonant frequency, yeah. and all the other children say, we can do this too. Now, when you're question, how do you get chronic disease? It's simple. You stop them from doing that, and they'll all end up with arthritis and cancer and heart disease. Right, or you just overload it with toxin, right? Yeah, with- and then you, but it's two. It's overloading them with toxins and not letting them get it out. And and you can help to not let it get out with a lot of commonly available drugs, for one thing. Yes, that's what medicine is. Yeah. Medicine is the art of suppressing acute cleansing reactions in the interest of making you sicker. That's, By classifying the, the detox reaction as a disease. Yes, exactly. I totally agree with you, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's beautifully explained. Um, so obviously we've, you know, we're about 
what, two-thirds through right now with the time that we've got for the first segment here. And uh, one of the things, you know, this will be kind of an introductory episode, I think, because we're just touching on a few things. But one of the important ones that I think is like what you just explained in another so-called field, although I don't really believe in separate fields. I think they're all connected. But um, what you've observed and come up with about the heart and the circulatory system is worth exposing people to, I think, and how you arrived at it and what it means. And I can elaborate if you need me to. Well, I mean, the the main in point there was, you know, and, and again, I don't know whether it's this sort of de- destiny thing for me, but I, I just don't believe things just because everybody else does or because I'm, quote, supposed to. So if you look into, uh, you know, you can say it a number of different ways, but does the heart pump the blood? Which, And what I mean by that is, is the reason the blood moves in an organism like a human being mm-hmm. is because it's being propelled by pressure from the heart. Exactly. And, and almost everybody in the world, especially the educated people, think they know that the answer is yes. Yes. But the fact of the matter is for a variety of reasons which I can lay out, A, there's no evidence for that, and B, it's laughable how ridiculous it is. So, for instance, you know, the blood moving into the heart is going at the same velocity, which is the fastest it moves, as the blood exiting the heart. And then the, the blood slows down, and then it stops at the capillaries, and then it gets going again. And it's like having a a water system, and it's going fastest at the pump, and then it stops at a lake. And any engineer would put the pump where the blood, where the water stopped, not where it's going the fastest. Or a second pump, at least, right? Right. But you don't need a pump where the blood is already moving the fastest. So that's one thing. The second thing is we're talking about you know, a, a, a system of blood vessels thousands of miles long with very viscous fluid in it, with stuff floating in it, like red blood cells and platelets, which are approximately the diameter of the vessel. Now, to think that a one-pound organ can push hard enough to push all this sticky fluid, you know, 30,000 miles or more, is frankly ridiculous. And most of that length is capillaries. Most is capillaries. And then the final, you know, easy one to think about is the outflow tube to the heart is called the aortic arch. So it's shaped like a McDonald's arch. Yeah. And if if you just say, okay, you have a garden hose shaped like an arch, and you put a spigot, attach it to it, right? Okay. And then when, and so you turn the spigot off, and now we got a big pump here, so we got to turn it on really fast. And it's going to go out this arch. So what's going to happen to the arch? It'll straighten. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So what, in fact, happens to the arch, the harder, you know, the, well, when, when you're pushing, in other words, systole, the arch bends in, which makes no sense. That means when you turn the water on in your garden hose, 
the bend of the curve goes in, not out like you would think. So it actually moves in to a measurable yes. degree every time the heart beats? Yes. Wow. I Which didn't means know that. that it's the suction, not a push. Wait, so how does okay, it, don't go too fast on that. It's a suction. What do you mean a suction, not a What's a suction? So here's how it works. It's, it's like what, you, what we call a hydraulic ram. So you put a hydraulic ram in fast-moving water, and then you have a gate, and then you have an expandable tank. Okay. So the water comes in, and it, it stops at the gate. It expands the tank, and then it builds up a pressure differential on the tank side versus the other side right? A vacuum on the other side. Okay. And the differential is enough. The gate opens and the water is, is, is led to where it needs to go. And that's what happens in the heart. The blood comes into the heart. It expands the ventricle. Uh-huh. And when the pressure, you know, the suction builds up, it sucks the, the aortic arch in and then the heart creates a vortex inside the ventricle, which is, as the Sufis say, where God enters into the human being. Uh-huh. Because the vortex is the creative energy of the universe. So essentially right. the spirit comes in, in this vortex, the, there's a vacuum created, there's no need for a push of anything, and then it's distributed to where it needs to go. So the problem, in a way, is trying to make all this fit into Newtonian physics. Yeah, Newtonian physics is mostly nonsense. Right, so you've got so many miles, you said, I think, 30,000, that it has to go go through, and most of it is really small, the capillaries. Right. So what keeps it going away from the... I mean, if you go way away from the heart in that system, what's pushing it at some distant capillary? What's creating that movement? Right. So the movement has to start at the capillaries because that's where the blood stops. And so what how that so that is the pump, so to speak. And the way that works is uh, we turns out we have a fourth phase of water, not solid, liquid or gas Mm -hmm. called the easy water or, or structured water. And it's negatively charged and it comes because of the interaction of water and proteins. So the capillaries are proteins, and they create this, this tiny gel layer next to the vessel, which is negatively charged, and that pushes the positive protons in the middle where the blood water is, and they repel each other and start moving. So you're saying there's an electrical pump, not a physical pump. Yes, there's an electromagnetic field that's moving the blood just like you would expect. Wow, I'm just absorbing that. I mean, this is the thing about not having pre-scripted interviews. I'm just trying to, you know, assimilate the implications of what you're saying because they're pretty major. I mean, it's the same way as how uh, sap moves up in a tree. You know, we're told there's a barometric limit, which means, you know, this is the problem with science. We're told that a a column of water or sap can't go higher than 33 feet because then the weight of the water, right, is too too much, so it won't go any higher. Well, they must have an explanation for redwood trees. 
Right. But so you would say, well, that must mean there's no trees higher than 33 feet. Yeah. The problem is anybody can see, hey, that tree is 200 feet high. So your explanation of how it works is wrong. It doesn't matter who thinks it. It doesn't matter how many people believe it. It just doesn't fit the facts. So the question is, how does it work? And it works because a a xylem tube is a hydrophilic tube, just like a capillary, Mm -hmm. and there's water in it. Whenever a hydrophilic tube up and an external energy source like the sun or the earth or human hands or dogs or any living source creates an electric field, which then uh, creates this gel layer, which separates charges, puts the the positive charges in the middle in the water part, and it just starts moving. And that's how all fluids in biological systems uh, move, not because of pumps, but because of the, you know, the, the special properties of water. Hydrophilic means that the walls are attracted to what's inside the tube? Hydrophilic means they, they have a connection with water, essentially. Okay, and it's electrically based, I, I assume. Right? Well, it, it, it creates this gel layer, and gel layers inherently are negatively charged so that they can do work. And that's the, that's the charge of life. That's why water is the basis of life, because wherever there's water connecting with proteins, you can create, you know, a, an energy field, mm-hmm. which then is, is basically what we mean by a life force. So all these procedures that are commonly accepted as the only way to get people healthier in the unfortunate separation of specialties within allopathic medicine where you have heart doctors who don't know the context of what they're doing, but they they know all this memorized stuff about hearts. What they typically do of cutting into the vessels and putting stents in and all this other stuff that they do for hearts, that doesn't really fit. I mean, by what you just explained, that wouldn't be very helpful. I mean, there's a, that's a whole different subject, but the fact of the matter is, um, you know, and I've, I've written about this in my book, there's no evidence that doing bypasses or, or stents, A, prevents heart attacks, B, helps you live longer, or C, reduces chest pain. There's no evidence of this. It's been looked at for decades. Yeah. So and the, the, the difference with me is I took that a step further, and I don't know many people who've done this, and I looked at the evidence that blocked arteries actually cause heart attacks. Everybody believes that. I was told that. I was an ER doctor. I, and, I, you know, that's what right. we were. It right. turns out it's not true. And it's easy to even demonstrate quickly because over the years, I had hundreds of people who came in and said, yeah, you know, I walked up this big hill and I started feeling a little bad. And my wife made me go to the doctor and he, he said, maybe you're hard. He did an angiogram. He said I was 95% blocked. And if I block anymore, I'm going to have a heart attack. Now, think about that for a minute. If, if it, what we're told is true, that all the blood to your heart goes through these three vessels, and you have a 95% blockage, that means you've got 5% blood flow 
how in the hell did you walk up that mountain? And you mean to tell me that if you block from 5% to 3%, that's what's going to kill you? I mean, this is nonsense. And not only that, but if you think about it, if there's something in the blood like lipids or cholesterol or inflammation that's causing your this blockage, then it must have the same blockage in the artery to your spleen, right? You would certainly think so, yeah. The same blood. Yeah. Now, so you get blockages in your spleen, blockages in your heart. How many people do you know had spleen attack? Very few have spleen stents put in. Yes, nobody. <laughs> so why is that? How about liver attacks, foot attacks, kidney attacks? How come mm-hmm. it's just the heart? Because the answer is it has nothing to do with the blood vessels. It has everything to do. The heart is somehow different than the spleen. Mm-hmm. And then I get into what what's different about it. Okay, that's going to have to be a teaser for... If you're willing to come back again. Um, The other thing let's do a teaser for in a couple minutes is um, what's this deal with cancer and what you call the biology of water? What's that about? Uh, The main thing is that cancer, unlike what we're told, you know, I mean, I I can't help it. I, I believe what I believe and think what I think. You know, we're told it's a genetic disease and all that. There's no evidence of that at all. It is not a genetic disease. It has to do with a, a destructuring of the water that makes up your tissues. And when that happens, uh, a whole series of events happens, and you get more and more poisoned and more and more dysfunctional, and then you can't regulate how, how you control the expression of the DNA because the DNA is embedded in this structured water and the structured water controls which part of the DNA gets expressed. So it's all about the coherence of the water. And the thing that's interesting about that is there are some very specific things that dissolve the coherence of your water, particularly electromagnetic fields. Yeah, and You know that yeah. because if you put a cell phone next to a tube that's flowing because it's, you know, water at a hydrophilic surface, the water will stop flowing because the electromagnetic field from your cell phone inhibits the this formation of this uh, coherent water. So when you have uh, incoherent water, that is really what this disease called cancer is all about. So that's where the cancer and the new biology of water comes from. So how do you make the water coherent again? Well, for one thing, stop you know, destructuring it with electromagnetic fields, you know, in your pocket and in your right. home and everything. That's, that's, you know, avoidance first. And then there's a whole lot of things, you know, which I outlined in the book to, to help you restructure your water. Well, I know that when Rudolph Bruce and others put people on a six week juice fast, um, something happened and they tens of thousands of them got better. Yeah. Well, you know, juice, uh, particularly from a Norwalk juicer, which is the uh, preserves the structure of the water in the plants, yeah. like nothing else. Yeah, that is a way to help restructure your water. And if you don't have twenty five hundred dollars for a juicer, you could use 
the omega slow moving uh masticating type right and it's better than centrifugal i would think yeah i don't know about that one i'm okay. a norwalk juicer guy yeah norwalk is really proven to be great yeah um okay those are good teasers so you know what strikes me as a bottom line about everything you've been saying is like the earth-shattering implications of what if common sense were brought back to life in humanity. Yeah, there's not much of that happening these days. No, but it's theoretically possible to rejuvenate it, right? Oh, and one other issue that I didn't bring up that we'll do another time is... um, You've heard about, you know, Dr. Mary Smonkey and the whole thing about the so-called cancer viruses polluting the, uh, the, what is it called? Uh, it has a name, a number. It's polluting the polio vaccines early on, yeah. about a million of them or something. Uh, no, many, many millions of them. And they were injected into people when they got the polio shot. And it was implied that it would lead to a cancer epidemic. Uh, that was a so-called virus. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, there's no way that SV40 causes any kind of cancer. Okay. I wonder where that story is. And I could go into exactly how they, why that SV40 is in there. And it's one of those things that, you know, in my opinion, the, the alternative people got that horribly wrong. And horribly wrong, and it's a real disservice to understanding, you know, vaccines because essentially SV40 means simian virus 40. So right. the question: What is a simian virus doing there? And they they somehow make you think that a this thing causes cancer, and b that they put a simian virus in there for nefarious purposes. The reality is the reason that was the fourth simian virus and the reason there are simian viruses in there is because they grow these cultures on monkey kidney tissue. Yeah. And so it breaks down into all these particles. Now, the particles are poisonous and the adjuvants are poisonous. Right. So I never said you can't make a single person sick with the vaccine. That's what they're meant to do. But you can't give them a virus because that doesn't exist. All you're giving them is the 40th breakdown product of a simian tissue. So it's, it's disintegrating tissues that are toxic. Yes. And that's all you need for an explanation, basically. That's it. That's what SV40 is. That's what SV40 is. Okay, and it wouldn't be a health food. Especially if you inject it. Yeah, or as somebody said, the only way you can get a, quote, viral infection is by injecting viral particles into your body. That's the only way. And you can't spread that to another person. Yeah, didn't they try to spread it and demonstrate that it was contagious in the Spanish flu? Yeah, it isn't. And they didn't do very well with that. They they proved that it isn't, period. We We already know this stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things that would be fun to talk about in a future installment is explanation, as you talk about in your book, of what happened in different pandemics and why yeah. they spread and that sort of thing. Right. So it's nothing to do with viruses. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty neat. Um, 
to me, this is like super exciting because it's, it's just my mind immediately goes to implications of common sense applied to all these different fields, which is really, I think there's only one field and it's life on this dimension. Yes. You know, for us here. Right. We, we have this horribly confused and it's, it's, it's really tragic right now because of the repercussions of a kind of medical tyranny are just out of control. They are, and, and it's just the beginning of what they have planned. And I'd like to, just like you want to restructure the water in cancer, I'd like to see what is the analogous procedure that needs to be done to detox humanity and what's coming in the future right now, it's yeah, just right. socially. Yeah, that's Hope. a big question. I don't have an answer for that question. Okay, hopefully we solve that really soon, though. Got it. <laughs> All right, hold on, and we'll say goodbye in the break here just a minute. Okay, you guys, um, what do you think? That was Dr. Thomas Cowan, who wants to be known as Tom, which is revolutionary in itself. Most doctors, as I mentioned to him, want everybody to know that their first name is doctor. It costs them a lot of time and money to get that done. And he's being like just a normal, regular old human being, which I think is incredible. And um, his thinking goes along the same lines with the radical idea that is almost unknown these days, that you can have common sense. I mean, that's almost no one, I think, seems to remember what that even is. But since I'm really interested in humanity finding a cure for the mental illness that's become almost universal now, I think it, his demonstration of common sense is, is you know, a potentially earth-shaking in a really good way. And I recommend people look at what not just what he specifically said, but the implications of that, realizing what you do and don't know and being open to learn instead of just memorizing what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to believe and you're bad if you don't. I mean, it's incredible. It's like what they would, if, if they saw him and we and they live, they'd say, oh my God, we have one that can see, not not just the regular ones that can see, this guy can see a lot. And that was my feeling about getting to listen to him. So he said um, that he's got videos on YouTube still, because I guess he's so far out of the um, universe of the censors, they don't realize the implications of what he's saying, so he's not censored, which is great. And he's got a website to keep track of what platforms that you can watch his videos on, and it's called Dr. Tom Cowan. Make sure I get it correct. DrTomCowan.com, D-R, no doubt, just D-R-T-O-M-C-O-W-A-N.com. And he's got five books, which we mentioned before, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, which is all about that unusual uh, new understanding of the heart and the uh, circulatory system and how they work. And he's the kind of person with insight that you or anybody, me or anybody can have with common sense. It's amazing. We can actually discover things and it doesn't depend on what degrees you have or anything else like that. It depends on whether you're open to learning new things or you're attached to defending your current point of view. Almost everybody that I run into and most of us are, it's not our fault. We've been trained defend the memorize what the current point of view is supposed to be and then defend it and call everybody else an idiot that's 
what passes for modern science and what what he's doing instead is like you know finding out that you're wrong is great because you're getting closer to what's not wrong and so there's no ego in the exploration process and it super inspiring it makes it fun you no longer have to fight with everybody about who's right because it doesn't matter it matters what's right and not who already knows it and who doesn't everybody is trying to get closer and helping each other instead of fighting each other. It's an incredible concept. So, um, drtomcowan.com, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart was one of his books, and then Vaccines, Autoimmunity, and uh, what does it say? The Changing Nature of Childhood Illness, that's another one. Cancer and the New Biology of Water, which sounds incredible. I haven't read it yet, but the few words he said about it were really important. explains why juice fasting does what it does and water fasting. Uh, fourfold Path to Healing and Nourishing Traditions book of uh, Baby and Child Care. He did those with Sally Fallon Morell. And then he's got this new book that the one I'm reading now called The Contagion Myth, and it's really good. It's not light, you know, one hour to read through it. You've got to pay attention. But it, it really is a sample of this deep common sense point of view. And it doesn't mean that now you memorize everything Dr. Cowan says because that's correct. It's totally not about that. It's saying drop the attachment to being right and explore. And you never know where that can go. It's probably going to be really good. And it's right in line with self-discovery, which is what opens up the power that, you know, healing power, not power for destruction. You can't, real power you can't misuse. It's It's... Its whole nature is healing and and growth and based on love and not conflict. It doesn't make you weak either. It doesn't make you unable to fight if you have to defend yourself or somebody else. Or it it makes your vision clear and it makes you able to find out what you can actually do. So I really recommend his material and I'm going to read more of his books myself. I'm sorry I haven't read them all yet. I've got a few things waiting to do, but I will be doing that as soon as time permits. Um. What else? This is our Sunday show, as you know, and we have a Saturday show called Lost Arts Radio Live every uh, Saturday. And and it's at um, 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern, and you're invited to go It's uh, to come listen to it. It's generally something about current events, which are pretty intense at the moment, if you've noticed, and uh, probably you have if you live on this planet. And where things are going is to a large degree up to us, and we're supposed to think that we have nothing to do with decisions for where the future goes. That's not exactly accurate, to understate the issue a little bit. So that's about uh, current events. And then half an hour after that show ends, we have the meeting of Planetary Healing Club, which is for those of you who would like to go deeper into this stuff and in a non-censored, interactive, live format that I meet you at once a week. And it's wide open. We just talk about, well, usually for the first hour or so that we're together, I'll, I'll share something with you that I've put together during the week and things that have been happening and that I've been learning and bring you into the my ongoing research that is pretty much what I totally live at this point. It started out about looking into age reversal and natural ways of reversing degenerative disease and immunity without drugs and vaccines and interesting stuff like that. But it got it went further 
just like Tom was doing today in the discussion, Dr. Cowan, that it's not just physical level things that are happening. There are qualities of resonance, which is a really powerful phenomenon that very few doctors and scientists really know about. And we talk about that openly. When you get into it, it becomes obvious that that is this huge factor affecting not only health and disease, but awareness of who you actually are and what you can actually do. If you don't get that awareness, you can't use those forgotten normal abilities in the current lifetime. And the the more people that get back in touch with that and use those for the good of themselves and everybody else, the better chance we have to a, not just a survivable future, but finding out what potential beauty could really manifest on, on this plane of uh, imperfection, you know, but it could still be incredibly beautiful while we're here for us and the generations to come after. And that's what we want to actually do, not just in theory or belief, because those are fine and we're not asking anybody to change beliefs or religions or anything like that, but get to what's behind them and then demonstrate, you know, and I'm working on that stuff every week and we share it at the meetings of Planetary Healing Club. So if that's of any interest to you and you feel like you're ready, brave enough, really, it takes a lot of courage to get into transforming yourself and your own life and say, okay, for the moment, you know, you can go right back to defending what you believe is right and showing everybody else is wrong. That's great. It's not going anywhere. But just for a little pause in that, you know, drop all the preconceptions and see what's really possible. You might really like it a lot. (laughs) It might answer a lot of questions about what you can do to help make things better. So that's Planetary Healing Club. If you want to join us, uh, please do. I'd like to see you there, and that's live and in person every week. Access point is at planetaryhealingclub.com. And then for those of you who would like to help us stay in operation on the air and doing the best we can in a censored environment on a lot of new platforms, you can always donate to us. We don't do commercials at this point. Totally dependent on your support if you like what we're doing. So there are donate buttons at lostartsradio.com lostartsradio.com or lostartsresearchinstitute.org that's our nonprofit that runs everything and then we also have a subscribe star account if you'd rather do that subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio and you can get in that way but the club if you want to actually participate live that's uh, planetaryhealingclub.com and if you have questions about that and wonder Whether it's worth your time, I'm not going to say it is if it's not for you in particular, so feel free to communicate. We have contact forms on both of the sites that I mentioned, or you can email Richard at LostArtsRadio.com, and I read all of those. Respond as time allows, which is usually pretty fast. Uh, What else? I think that's most of it. So um, if you have feedback you'd like to give us you know feel free to give it in the same means email or contact forms uh suggestions for shows or feedback on shows or ideas or questions questions about the club whatever whatever you want to do uh stay in touch because we really like to hear from you this is not for us to hear ourselves talking it's um it's supposed to be of some use to you actually and the reason is that i see you as the key to the quality of the future. And Tom, in today's show, was talking about 
our hypnosis that we're subjected to and trained in that we can't do anything. We're totally useless. We have no value. We're just basically a piece of meat with the heart pumping blood through it. And then you die and you're gone and that's the end of it. Um, and you're supposed to believe that and, and let the rulers just destroy the world, which is the bottom line of their program right now. And I spent decades figuring that out and I'm still working on refining it, but it's clear it's not just population reduction, it's extermination. And there are a lot of details to how and why, but that's basically what's happening, which I don't think is a very good idea. Hopefully you don't. And you're the key to having something different happen. It's, it's just the opposite of thinking that you're helpless. It's, that's not true. You know, hate to bother anybody's preconception, but it it really is the opposite. Your potential can be not just believed in, but demonstrated. So we could do that together if you want to. It'd be be nice to have you participate. So take care of yourself on every level that you can, because that makes you able to give more to everybody else. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. So thanks for being here, and we'll see you in a little while. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on two YouTube channels, Facebook Live, Periscope, which is Twitter, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, 
as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the band ones are on our YouTube channels at Lost Arts Radio and at Diamond Disc. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. The most wonderful things Seem just out of your reach Faces and places seem strange And they unsteady your feet It's alright 